Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Isn't he amazing? You're amazing. Amen. Amen. Since we're already standing, why don't you open open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. As we continue our Built for Better series. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. I'll read the odds, you read the evens, and we'll read the last verse together. Amen? Amen. Here is the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. And the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it is unable to do so. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. All together. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. I want to talk from the theme this morning of here comes the Calvary. Here comes the Calvary. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that you have given to us that is constantly changing us, transforming us, challenging us to think like you to live for you, to look like your son. God, we thank you for him because he was a gift given to us, a helper sent to us, one that Jesus himself promised that he would not leave us, but he would send for us a comforter. And so, God, we thank you for him. Help us to see the power that we have in him to live a life pleasing to you. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
you're tired, sweaty, bloody. But the blood is not yours, it's someone else's. And you look to your left and, and then to your right and you realize that many of the people who started off with you are no longer there. You received a message that the war had been won a long time ago, but it doesn't feel like it. And even though you are not trapped behind enemy lines, it sure does feel like it. You can hear the iron gate scream as it prepares to burst open with the enemies rushing in from the other side. You've long run out of ammunition and the wait for the inevitable seems like an eternity. Then suddenly, in the distance, you hear a sound that tempts hope in your soul. Yes, I know that sound. That sound says that I don't have to fight on my own, that the Calvary has come. Paul has been trumpeting this message beginning in chapter 6 that you have been set free. You have been set free but we still feel the effects of sin. We still feel the undeniable pool of temptation. And in chapter seven, Paul begins to say that even though we have been freed from the requirements of the law, my flesh wants to break the law. Something about seeing the law just makes me want to break it. Sin still dwells in me. And Paul talks about this constant tension that exists in verse 19 when he says, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Yes, I have been set free, but sometimes I still feel pulled into doing those things that I don't want to do. It's here in this moment that Paul introduces us to the Spirit. Here in chapter 8, Paul gives us a more detailed attention to the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the believer and what he does to help us live a life pleasing to God. He starts off in verse 1 and he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Therefore is indicating that Paul is stating an important summary of an argument that he's been making beginning in chapter 3, verse 21, throughout uh, the end of chapter 5. The summary of his salvation argument that we have been saved by faith, because of the grace of God, and we have been made right with God. We have been justified with God. We have been placed in right standing with God, and because of that, we have peace with God. And sin that had entered the world came into the world through one man, Adam, but now we have a new Adam by which we have been extended the righteousness that he has because he lived a perfect life fulfilling the law. So Paul says, therefore... You are now not condemned any longer if you are in Christ Jesus. He says, so the summary of this gospel argument that I've been making over the last few chapters leads us to the point now where you can say, if you have Christ, you are not condemned. If you have been saved by grace through faith and the blood of Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross, you are now at peace with God. This word condemned, though, it, it gives the sense of what happens when you've been punished after the sentence. Condemnation is not the sentence, it is the punishment after the sentence. 
It carries with it the ideal of penal servitude, or, or if I could put it in layman's terms, imprisonment with hard labor. And so here Paul is, is shouting from the rooftop, if you belong to Christ, you don't have to worry about the consequences of sin and death. If you know Jesus, you don't have to worry about hard labor because you have been found guilty because of your sins. He says, therefore, in light of my argument, those who belong to God are under the new order of the spirit, enabling them to do the will of God. He says, now, there's no reason for those who are in Christ to go on doing, actively living penal servitude as though they have never been pardoned as if they have never been released from the prison house of sin. Paul here is again, he's, he's trying to introduce this idea into the mind of the believer, into the life of the believer, that you've been set free, that the consequences, the sentence of sin and death and the requirements of the law are no longer held to your account because of what Christ has already done. And it seems sort of repetitory. If you read chapter six, and then read chapter 7, and then read chapter 8, you begin to wonder to yourself, Paul, why do you keep saying the same thing over and over and over again? And it makes it difficult for me because it sounds like I'm preaching the same sermon week after week after week. But here, Paul is just trying to make it clear. For some strange reason, the believer doesn't live like they're free. So he has to keep mentioning it. He has to keep talking about it. He has to keep reminding us over and over and over again, you have now been purchased by the blood of Christ. You have now been set free from the bondage of sin and death. You no longer have a debt account on you. You have been made new. So Paul says that, that those who now are involved with this new life of the spirit, in verse 2 he says, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. There's that set you free again. That law of the spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so Paul now shows what is involved with the new life, which the spirit imparts and sustains. And so the Holy Spirit, which God has given to come as a comforter, he has a responsibility in the life of the believer. You have God now living within you and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the ministry uh, that he has in your life is very specific and clear based on what Paul lets us know. And he has a defined responsibility as it relates to helping you understand the freedom that you now have in Christ. And so he says that, that the law of the Spirit has now set you free, meaning that those who belong to the new order of the Spirit can actually follow God's ways. Because you now have the spirit residing in you, you have the mind of the spirit, and you have been given a new heart by the spirit, and so now you have the capability of actually following God unlike how you used to. He said because there's a difference between the law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death says that you can't follow God, and you must obey the will of sin and death. But the law of the spirit says you've been given a new heart. You have been freed from sin's grasp and sin's control. And now you have the capability to say no to sin and yes to God. It's, it's, like, it's like having a bully. You know, when, when you have a bully, you could stand up to the bully. 
You know, because when you stand up to a bully who's bigger than you, you might not win the fight, but you get some cool points for, for being brave, you know? Like, it's like, son, I, I know you got beat up really bad, but I'm proud of you for not backing down. But a better course of action would be to go get somebody bigger than the bully to beat the bully up. This is what Paul is saying. You have somebody in your corner so that you don't have to fight the bully on your own. And for some reason, we think it's a good idea to keep going back to the bully and getting beat up over and over and over again, being frustrated by the fact that we've gotten beat up and then encouraging one another and patting each other on the back because you stood up to the bully even though you lost. And all the time, there's a spirit in your corner saying, if you would just tag me in. See, with the entry of the spirit, there is no further talk of defeat. See, where Paul talks about how we've been defeated by sin and death, once the spirit is introduced into the life of the believer, we don't have to talk defeat anymore. All we talk is winning. And so the believer who has the spirit in him should only be living in a winning culture. There should be an environment of winning happening around you in relation to your overcoming of sin because you have power on your side. So Paul here is just trying to to get us to understand that even though conflict goes on, even though there's a tension that exists between uh, wanting to obey the spirit, wanting to walk by the spirit, and wanting to walk by the flesh. There's a conflict that still exists, but where the spirit is in control, the power of indwelling sin is mastered. Remember what he says. He says, if you walk by the spirit, you won't satisfy the desires of the the flesh. Where the spirit is in control, where he is filling, being filled, and when you are filled with the spirit... You can't walk by the flesh, meaning when the spirit's in control, sin has no mastery over you. He goes on to say in verse three, he says, what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. This is the law of Moses. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did, meaning that obedience could not save you. Obedience to the law could not save you because what the law required was perfection. The law required perfect obedience and what it could not produce in you. Because the law could not get you to obey its demands to perfection, God had to step in and do. Like, that, that's good news right there. That, that what the law couldn't do, which was save you, God did. What, what, what you couldn't do on your own, which was muster up enough holiness to obey the law perfectly, God did on your behalf. Like that, that's, that, those two words right there should be enough to get you to shout and run around the room. What you couldn't do on your own, God did. God did. God did. What the, what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. And he condemned sin in the flesh By sending his own son, meaning that the power and authority of sin was broken for those who are in Christ at the cross. This was a specific point in time, a specific moment in history, meaning that at the cross, Jesus already took care of the sin and death issue. 
So when you came to faith in Christ, he didn't take care of it then at that moment. He had already taken care of it. When you come to Christ, you just receive the benefits of what's already been taken care of on your behalf. And so Paul says, he says, since, since he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, Paul uses the word sinful flesh to emphasize that human flesh was the realm in which sin gained a foothold and usurped dominion, right, the dominion of God. But he says that Jesus was in the form of the likeness of sinful flesh. That doesn't mean that he had sinful flesh. Jesus came in the flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh, and the Bible says the likeness of sinful flesh because he never sinned. So even though he came in the flesh, he didn't come in the sinful flesh like you and I come in the sinful flesh because the Bible says that he had never sinned. Hebrews chapter, or first, first, uh, first Peter chapter 2. We also see this idea this substitutionary atonement that Paul is referring to here, that Paul is implying here in this verse. We see this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Beautiful, beautiful verse, right? And I'll put it in my, in my own words. This is, what, this is what Paul is getting across when he talks about this idea of God condemning sin by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's, he's basically saying the same thing here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that God treated Jesus who had never sinned, as if he had committed every sin, so that he could treat us, who had committed every sin, as if we had committed none. Did you hear that? God treated Jesus, who had never sinned, as if he had committed every sin, so that he could treat us, who had committed every sin, as if we had committed none. That's the good news of the gospel right there. That, 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 that right there should stir something in your soul that just makes you lift hands and scream hallelujah. Thank you, God. What I could not do on my own, God did. So Paul, Paul says that, 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 that God did this by sending his son as a sin offering. Not like the animal sacrifices of uh, the Old Testament that the Israelites had to do. The Israelites knew the seriousness of sin now. They, they knew the seriousness of sin, which is why they sacrificed so often. But, but the writer of Hebrews lets us know that the blood of bulls and goats never, never really removed sin. It just delayed the inevitable. For them, it was just a picture of something greater that needed to happen on their behalf. That's where Jesus comes in. Jesus, the, the, the one who was sent as a sin offering, the one who would be given up on my behalf, on your behalf, on the world's behalf. Jesus paid the penalty. That's why I love old hymns like Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Paul goes on in verse 4. He says, he says that this was done in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here Paul begins to introduce this idea of, of Christian holiness, right? This idea that, that it's not a matter of painstaking conformity to a specific set of external law codes. Rather, it is a question of the Holy Spirit's producing fruit in one's life. See, the law prescribed a life of holiness but the law was powerless to produce such a life. 
because of the inadequacy of the human material on which it had to work. Meaning that because you and I were so sinful, the law didn't have much to work with to help us produce holiness in our lives. But what the law was powerless to do, God did. Listen to this quote by S.H. Hook. He says, he says, those who live by the Spirit, as Paul says, produce the fruits of the Spirit. A vine does not produce grapes by act of parliament. They are the fruit of the vine's own life. So the conduct which conforms to the standard of the kingdom is not produced by any demand, not even God's demand, but it is the fruit of that divine nature which God gives as the result of what he has done and by Christ. Meaning that, that God's commands do not produce holiness in you. Holiness is produced in you when you have the spirit and the spirit empowers you to live a life of obedience to the commands, and it produces fruit. And so Paul here is just trying to, to get us to understand, listen, this, this empowering that we have by the Spirit, this, this hope that we have by the Spirit comes because he's given us a new heart with a new nature, with new passions, with new desires that help us to follow God in obedience. The law which told you just to obey what it said, could never produce that type of obedience in you. The Spirit empowers us not by conforming us to the law, but by giving us a new heart, new desires, new affections that can respond to God. I'm just now realizing as I get to point two that I never gave y'all point one. Everything I just explained was under point one that the Spirit gives us a new law to follow. And now that we finished point one, I'm at point two. The Spirit gives us a new mind. Right? For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirits. Paul here divides people into two categories. Those who are, who have their minds set on the flesh and those who have their minds set on the spirit. And, and I, like, I, like, I like how the, the NLT, the New Living Translation translates this. It says that, that, that it's those who are dominated by the sinful nature or those who are controlled by the spirit. It's, there's a difference uh, when we look at this because one, one dominates you by force. The other controls you by willing surrender. It, it, it's, it's the difference between being put in a chokehold and being made to tap out and initiating giving up your rights voluntarily. So Paul says that, that, that for those who have been uh, who have their minds set on the flesh, it's being under the dominating influence of one who forces you to do what it wants under their control by removing your power, whereas you have to obey them. Those who set their minds on the spirit, however, they make a voluntary choice to initiate willingly surrendering themselves under the control and influence to be moved in a particular way by the spirit. 
And he says that, that, that in those two groups, you know who's in what group because one leads to death and the other leads to life and peace. He said there, there, there are two extremes that exist between those who set their minds on the flesh and those who set their minds on the spirit. For those who set their minds on the spirit, there's life and peace. You, you get to know life and peace. And, and it's clear because Ephesians chapter 2 says, says that, that Jesus, he himself, is our peace. So when you have the spirit, it's an indication that you have Jesus and you have peace because he is peace. And he is the life. But for those who have their minds set on the flesh, there's only death. And we can look at the virtue list. We've looked at them the last couple of weeks. We can look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Galatians chapter 5. If you, if you want to know what, uh, what a mind set on the flesh looks like, it's because the, the deeds of the flesh are impurity, sexuality, fits of rage, jealousies, anger, selfishness, and things like these. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, for those who set their minds on the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's, it's peace, it's long-suffering, it's self-control, it's, it's patience. You can see who has set their mind on the flesh, who, can, who has set their mind on the Spirit by what is produced in their life. So one leads to death, the other leads to life and peace. He says that, that those who set their mind on the flesh... He said, those, those, those types of people, they are hostile against God. He said, they, they, they are firmly set against God in their sin. They are rebellious against God. And the Bible even goes so far as to say that they are incapable of following him. Can you imagine being in that state where not only are you hostile toward God, towards God, but you couldn't follow him if you wanted to? Knowing what you know now about life and peace, knowing what you know now, believer, about freedom, knowing what you know now, could you imagine being in a state where you don't know God and you couldn't please him if you wanted to? Guess, guess what? There was a time in your life where you did know that. You just didn't know that you knew that. Paul says, he says that hostile towards God, cannot please God, unable to do so. He says, he says there's, there's, a, there's a difference between being in the flesh and being in the spirit. He says those who are in the flesh, those who don't have the spirit are far from God, can't live a life pleasing to God. They are condemned by the way that they live. And then he says, but, but you, but you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And so, so the spirit gives us a new mind. That's why Romans chapter 12 says that, that, that we are being transformed by the renewal of our minds. Right? The, the spirit now, the spirit gives us the truth about God and then helps us to obey the truth about God. Right? That's, that's why the spirit, the spirit changed your mind. You ever, not now that you're a Christian, you ever been doing something and, and the Holy Spirit just start kind of nudging you a little bit like, 
think about what you're about to do. Like, it's not, it's not, not nothing crazy, not nothing crazy. You, you haven't really started to wrestle yet. He ain't really started to, to sucker gun, like give, like give you them kidney shots yet. But he's just like, th- think about what you're about to do. And then you take a minute and you're like, yeah, yeah, it's not that bad though. I, 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 like, I, I think I'll be all right. And then, then he's like, okay. So you won't listen to the nudge. All right. Remember that. Then, 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 if you've been in your word, he brings back to remembrance. If you can't remember something you ain't got, but it, if you've been in your word, he brings back to remembrance what you've been reading. And he says, okay, okay, I tried to nudge you. Like, I was trying to be cool about it. I didn't want to put you on blast. I was trying to be cool about it. Now I'm going to give you this scripture that you know you read. And I'm going to help you to think about how to apply it to this particular situation. And now you start wrestling. Is there another verse that could combat this? And then you start, then he starts wrestling with you. And the more that you try to deny him, the more he just twists at you and wrenches at you. And then a point of time comes where you don't feel it no more because you've quenched him. He says that that this this is the help that the spirit gives to the life of the believer, where, where he gives you indicators to stop and consider what you're about to do. And then he brings the word of God into the conversation because as the believer, the word of God should always be in the conversation. He brings the word of God into the conversation to remind you about the truth of God's word so that you can obey. But guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't take over. He doesn't, he doesn't automate your body and take over and start moving you like a robot to force you to obey God. And so, so here Paul is saying that, that we have, to, we have to cooperate with the Spirit, right? We, we have to partner with the Spirit so that while he brings to mind those things that we should be doing, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, that we actively take a step in the direction of the Spirit to walk in him so that he can empower us even more. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is not some supernatural event where you just cry a lot and shout and run around. To be, to be filled with the Spirit simply means that you are walking in obedience to the Word of God. The more you walk in the obedience to the Word of God, the more you're filled in the Spirit. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. He begins to challenge us and change our minds based on the Word of God, uh, the word of God so that we can think differently, which helps us to live differently so the holy spirit who lives in you is residing in you regularly challenging your thinking to change your mind so that what you believe aligns with what god has said so oftentimes what we believe tends to override what god has said because we feel differently than god does listen it's okay to disagree with god sometimes That's not the issue. The issue is whether or not you're going to obey him regardless of your disagreement. 
Man, there's plenty of stuff that God done said that I disagree with in the moment of something. When, when I'm wrestling, like Paul says, when there's this, this, like, I'm, like, it's not, well, let me not say, it's not even that wrestle Paul. Because Paul talking about the wrestle of, I don't want to do it, but I feel like I'm being pulled in that direction. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that time when I want to do it. Because I'll be honest with you, if we're going to keep it a bean, most times, we, we want, the issue is we want to do it. Ain't too many of us struggling with Paul, like, I don't want to do it, but I'm doing it anyway. No, we want to do it, and we do it. But the Spirit, the Spirit is in your life to help you to change your mind so that so that when the time comes and you actually have to make a decision, your mind has already been changed. Because if you're, if you're waiting for the spirit to change your mind when you've already made your mind up, as believers, listen, as believers, we have to work on preparing ourselves for the fight before the fight. You don't train for the fight at the fight. So the spirit helps us to train for the fight ahead of time. But then he empowers us to do what we've been training for when the fight happens. He says, he says the spirit gives us a new mind. And then lastly, the spirit gives us assurance. Not only does the spirit, the spirit gives us a new law to follow, right? Frees us from the, the, the law of sin and death and says, no, here, there, there's a new law that you can follow to obey God. I'm going to empower you to do it. Now, in order for you to follow that law, i got to change your mind. So let me help you change your mind about what you believe God's word says and what it actually says. And I'm going to empower you to follow the law by changing your mind. And then I'm going to assure you not only that you belong to him, but that God's promises are true. Right. He says he says now now you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit lives in you. Right. If indeed the spirit lives in you. Right. And because he does live in you. You are in the spirit, which means you can follow God's laws. You can please God with your life. You can be filled with the spirit. And the, the beautiful thing about what the spirit does is this, this relationship that exists between the triune God, between father, uh, son, and, and spirit, is, is that the spirit takes backstage, a backstage position, and shines the spotlight on the son to conform the, the, the believer not into his own image, now imagine that the spirit resides in you and is doing all this work in you, is wrestling with you, is reminding you the truth of God's word, and he's not even conforming you into his own image. He's conforming you into the image of another. And guess what? He enjoys doing so. Like this, this, is, this is the beauty of the relationship between the triune God, that they all have distinct personalities and distinct roles, and they don't argue and fight and bicker about who's doing what. But they enjoy supporting one another in their roles as they fulfill their own roles, and they work together in perfect harmony without fighting, without jealousies, without uh, divisions. And the Holy Spirit here doesn't get any credit for the work he does because he shines all of the credit on the Son. He says the, the, the Spirit, if you're in him, if he lives in you, uh, it says, 
uh, that the, the spirit lives, lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit, he does not belong to him. Now, the reason that you have assurance is because the spirit talks to your spirit, your spirit man inside of you to let you know that you belong to God, that you are a child of God. There is, there is this work that the spirit does to bring in an assurance in your soul and in your life to let you know you don't have to wonder about whether or not you belong to him. Like e even when sin is present in your life, if you belong to him, then you are his. And the spirit will remind you that even though sin is present in your life, you are his. There, there's a promise of assurance here because sin, sin in the role of the believer's life affects ministry, not presence. That, that's, that's important for us to understand, right? Like the, the, the spirit, Ephesians chapter one, has been given as a deposit, as an earnest deposit in the life of the believer, meaning that the Bible says, Paul said, Paul writes in, in Ephesians chapter one, that you have been sealed until the day of redemption. Meaning that when the spirit came into your life at salvation, he came as a guaranteed promise that God would fulfill the promise he made to save your soul when he returns. Right. Meaning that the spirit is the identifying factor that you have received the promises of God already in Jesus Christ. He's an earnest deposit. It's, it's like when you're buying a house, when you buy a house, you got to put down an earnest deposit. And that earnest deposit basically is the promise that you are making to the homeowners and the bank that you are actually going to purchase this house. And if you renege and try to get out the contract, guess what? You don't get that earnest money back. But, but, but God here promises that when he gives you this earnest deposit of the spirit, he has sealed you and he will complete what he started. And so he's not going to renege on his promise and the presence of the spirit in your life is proof positive that he won't. So for this, for the believer, even though we're wrestling with sin, even though we're grappling with difficulty and strongholds often sometimes, it's, there's an assurance that God gives by giving you the spirit that says you don't have to question whether or not you belong to him. You don't have to question whether or not you're going to spend eternity with him in his presence, feeling his love and his grace and his peace. He says because the spirit is in you, you already have life eternal. He says that's, that's the... That's the promise of the spirit. Then he goes down, verse 11. He says, he says, if the spirit of him who raised you, listen to this. This is crazy. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Now, this, this is one of those beautiful promises. Because in the previous verse, Paul says basically that even though you belong to Christ, and even though you have the spirit of God living in you, your mortal bodies will still experience death because of the effects of sin. However, listen to this, you don't have to fear death. And you don't have to fear what happens after death. Because the promise comes in verse 11 where he says, this is the assurance that you can have. Not only that you belong to him, but if the spirit of God who, who, who raised 
Jesus from the dead. Now, no, 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 don't skip over that because everything that we're placing our hope in is linchpinned in Jesus raising from the dead. This is all of Paul's argument in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then we fools. He said, we are most to be pitied and most to be ashamed. But he said, but Jesus did raise from the dead. So you can't just run by if the spirit who rose Jesus from the dead, that's all that we believe. All of what we believe and have put our faith in rests in a man from Nazareth who saw darkness on Friday and saw light on Sunday and got up from the grave. And so when he says, if the power of the spirit that rose him from the dead will raise you too, you won't have nothing to worry about. He says, he says, if you're willing to put all of your faith, I mean, it means like to put your all of your faith with no black, no backup plan. If you're willing to put all your eggs in the basket of a man who was born of a virgin that died on a cross and got up from a grave. He said, if you're willing to put your faith in that, then you should put your faith in the fact that when I return, I'm going to raise you with the same power that I raised him with. And listen, don't, don't skip out on this because it's not just future. Not only will we be raised with that same power, but that same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Yeah. Whew. L- listen, is, is, there a, is there another more magnificent, more mind-blowing event in human history than the resurrection? Has anybody ever been raised from the dead never to die again? I'm like, what has happened in human history that has confounded man like the resurrection and the power that raised him lives in you? The power that told Jesus to get up, that loosed the linen cloth from off of his body, that rolled a stone away from the tomb. That, that power, that, that, that living, breathing, alive power lives in you. If you know him, that power lives in you. And so when, when Paul says that you have help to battle against sin and death, he's not just talking theoretical help. Paul, Paul is talking about The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power at your disposal to to exercise self-control. It's the same power that helps you to show love. It's the same power that helps you to be patient. It's the same power that helps you to serve with a joyful heart. He says the same power that raised Jesus You already have. If you know him, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, shouldn't that change how we live? Shouldn't that that change how we think about our battle and our war with sin and death? That sin couldn't keep him in the grave, but for some reason sin is holding you bondage? But it's the same power. It's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. Then it's good enough. The spirit is strong enough 
and he's willing to come to our aid in our time of need. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. We thank you for the power that we have in Christ through the Spirit because of what was accomplished on the cross on our behalf. God, when you read passages like this, it's no wonder Paul often paused in his writing to give praise breaks. How can you write this and not just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you over and over and over again? But God, we say thank you. Thank you for saving us when you didn't have to for accomplishing on the cross in three hours what we could never accomplish in an eternity. Help us to walk in the power of the Spirit, O oh God, today. Help us to walk in the newness of life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Help us, O oh God, to live lives that are pleasing to you, that are so filled with the fruit of the Spirit that shows distinctly that we are yours and we belong to you because we have your spirit, that our minds have definitely been set on the things of the spirit so that we can glorify you in every single thing that we do. Again, we say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you. We say amen. As our men come. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.